Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, it is a big holiday week for many people. Home Alone. Oh, yeah, no, Home (laughs) Alone. I thought you were like, like, it's a big... And I no. Anyways, I w- I was doing like the hey I, for people listening on their break, uh, big holiday vibe because this is coming out the week of Christmas, right? It is, yeah. So this is our Christmas episode. This is the Christmas episode, and we did Home Alone, a classic Christmas film, um, and the very fun and very good. Uh, a remake, Home Sweet Home Alone. But it's not even like a remake because it technically continues the story. It can, it's and conti- yeah. I feel like there should have been more sarcasm in your voice just now. There should I have. Feel I, like okay. if I knew nothing about... Um, you would assume if, it's good. I would assume it's good from you just being so truthful and also such a good actor. Like you really you did s- sell that. So I really appreciate that. A, mm-hmm. I, am, I am SAG eligible, so thank you. Secondari- secondarily... Um, I was being sarcastic. My performance was too earnest and I was not telling the truth. That was a lie. Um, not great. Uh, not, not, <laughs> not just not great, but, um, actively probably, not good. Unfortunately. I, um, I didn't think, cause our last year, our holiday film was Jingle All the Way, right? And so we had Jingle All the Way too. And I was like, okay, there is absolutely no way that like, will ever watch a movie as bad as that. Jess. And then we watched this movie and um it's fucking up there. You know it's how right before right we started recording I said I'm gonna hold off on what I was about to say? Uh-huh. It was I was gonna say this felt like jingle all the way too. Oh my That's, god, yeah. Okay. It truly I was like, is felt... this me? Usually no. we don't it... we don't text each other throughout yeah. like whenever we're we're doing movies. Or at least we try to and try not we, to and we're like we, really yeah. good at it usually. But today literally watching this like hour and a half movie took me um a good four fucking hours because it was just so cringeworthy <sighs> and it was a really hard watch. Um and I just stopped I would pause it and text Eric and Danny and just be like Oh my god, I can't. Oh my god. Bah! And I like just well, even, word vomited. I don't want to give away too much about how we're feeling about the the sequel remake uh continuation guess, film. Well, we can talk about um our relationship to the Home Alone franchise real that's quick a, before we dip in. That's right? a perfect thing to do. So, yeah. um when I was a kid, I watched Home Alone and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest thing." And then I remember because um, then there was Home Alone 2, right? And then Home Alone 3 happened, and that's the one that Macaulay Culkin wasn't in. But I, like, my grandpa remembered that I liked it. So he took me, remember uh, when, they probably still do this, but they had, like, a test audience for a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a test audience member for Home <gasps> Alone 3. Wow. And it was really bad. <laughs> Did you tell them it was bad? even as a child, I, like, wrote down stuff, like, on, like, the little sheet that they gave you afterward. It was really cute. Um, wow. But yeah, Home Alone was just like, oh yeah, great. Home Alone, classic, staple, perfect. I had the biggest fucking crush on Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. Like, not even joking. It started um, when I watched My Girl, and I was like, oh, fuck me, right? Well, yeah. And then, like, as I started consuming his work, so I was like, oh my God. And now he's in Pizza Underground. So, what? go me. I mean, um. <laughs> his work in uh, Saved 
iconic. Oh my God, so good. Did you know he also wrote a book or he published his diaries? Really? Yeah, it's called Junior and it's from... That's intense. And it's like um, scans of his diary pages and uh, it's like during this whole era because like his his dad was a shithead. His dad was a fucking asshole to him. So it's it's that whole era. I haven't read it in fucking 15 years. That's so scary. I mean, yeah, I think... I think Macaulay Culkin's cool. I I love Macaulay Culkin and Saved. I think he's so good. I love Saved. Saved is such a funny movie. Mandy Moore absolutely crushing it. Oh my god! She's so good. Can I just do Saved too, so we can do it for the pod? (sighs) Is there? There might be a Saved too. It's probably bad. I do want to do it. You should write Saved too. I. our beloved Eric just won an award for oh, screenwriting. Oh, I did. So, I'm writing. I mean, so, you should just write Saved too and make it happen. I could. Um, my history with Home Alone is pretty classic. It's pretty standard. I will say, um, I thought that the first and second Home Alones were the same exact film. Oh, as a man. Chi- as a child, neither of them resonated as individual films to me um i thought that the burglars were trying to break into the hotel for some reason and i thought that like tim curry was like a delivery guy at the house like my (laughs) brain saw both because like a lot of the same beats a lot of the same like shtick it's essentially the same movie just like oh no we did it again not to say that it's bad because i think they're both fantastic and i think the sequel's amazing but i could not separate the two so in my brain, they are meshed together. And even watching this for, for this one, I'm like, oh, they missed like the bird lady and like a couple other things like the brick scene. They, Why was that <laughs> not in here? Because my brain just said those things are in Home Alone, the collective film, which is one and two in my brain. I love that. Yeah. So uh, should we just go for it and yes. get the F into these movies on this beautiful holiday season? Yes, we absolutely should. Okay, let's do it. It's the night before the McAllisters leave the country for Christmas, and all through the house, every creature was stirring in this chaotic house. Okay, but really, there are 15 people in the house, and everyone is being a jerk to Kevin, the littlest, most innocent, and incredibly gullible family member. Kevin is sent to sleep in the attic as punishment for literally nothing at all, and wishes his family would disappear. Surprisingly, he wakes up to find his wish has come true. Ecstatic, he begins doing everything and anything he's ever wanted, like jumping on the bed with popcorn, watching violent movies, and going to the store to buy a toothbrush. He's stoked, but soon realizes his house has been targeted by two sneaky, leaky, wet bandits and hatches a plan to stop them. Thousands of miles away, Kevin's mom realizes mid-flight that she left her son home alone and goes on an adventure of her own to get home as soon as possible that involves a few sleepless nights in the airport and a polka band with a moving truck. Meanwhile, Kevin successfully defends the McAllister house using a bunch of deadly booby traps and help from an old man he met in a church. The bandits get arrested, Kevin cleans the house, the McAllisters get home, and it was a very Merry Christmas indeed. A very Merry Christmas indeed. So, first... Perfect movie. So fun. So fun. First and foremost, I need to, as a collective and canon on the podcast, recognize that Catherine O'Hara is an absolute fucking star. Incredible. I know that this is, this is not news. This is just a fact. Catherine O'Hara is a goddamn star, and she's perfect, and she's lovely, and she is wonderful. And I love Catherine O'Hara. I love her so much, and I'm so glad that 
she got to be just 100% fully herself on Schitt's Creek. I mean, she oh made my the God. whole fucking show. Yeah, like, without a doubt. Oh, my God. Just like Every, unhinged everything she's Catherine in. O'Hara. Just incredible. Fucking she's, goddess. She is such a good comedian. She is so funny. Truly. Her timing is insane. She's amazing. I love uh, Catherine O'Hara so very, very much. Um, oh. I do, before we like get into like fun stuff and everything, I do want to say that I really fucking hate that the moral of the story is that you have to love your family, even though everybody's a shitbag to you. It's true. And it's okay to want family, but you need to recognize that your family will, like in this instance, will never be who you want them to be or who you need them to be, right? Yeah. Um, but like just being like, oh, well, they're what I got when they're like literally the worst fucking people to you. Like watching this intently and seeing everybody just be a fucking absolute monster to Kevin was so sad. It really is. And I know that like having those that many kids, I'm sure, is just insane and difficult. But what the fuck? Like everyone was such a dick to him for no reason. He's, He's just literally like, asking for help. He's the youngest one and nobody has time for him. And they're like calling him all of these names because, you know, he doesn't know how to pack a suitcase or something. And he's so gullible, like so many times, like the writing is so smart where like somebody says something to him and he just kind of regurgitates it without thinking about it. And even yes. with like his actions throughout the movie, he's doing these things like putting on aftershave and going to get a toothbrush and stuff because that's what he thinks he needs to do or that's what he's seen and witnessed happening. So yeah. he's decided that this is just this is just how it is. This is just what you got to do. Right. Yeah. And so he is so smart. And I love that the movie treats him like that. Right. Where like, I mean, kids are incredibly smart and they learn behaviors and they learn they learn from you and they learn from the people that they're surrounded by. So I love how that was um, such an integral part of him and his character. But yeah, just everybody was a fucking asshole and literally blaming everything on him when he doesn't know how to pack a suitcase. He was literally just asking for help and nobody, everybody just like, what were some of the uh, insults that they used on him? Like, uh, like a waste of space or yeah. no brain or like, yeah, I love all of that world building in this family because comparatively, this is a well-written movie. It's written with intent everything means something in this movie it's not random scenes it is intentional so like for our lead they're showing us hey this family kind of sucks and they kind of treat this kid like crap so the moment that he's like i wish that my family didn't exist we're like yeah 100 yeah i get that from you from from our perspective the way that you exist in this family i agree yeah our hero we're behind the hero let's go and then, again, the moral I also feel similarly uh, in disagreement with, just in terms of family's all you need. I'm like, no, he can, he's resilient and capable. And for being like a six year old child, super autonomous. Like, he knows how to feed himself. He cut down his own tree. He set all those traps. He can protect so himself. So smart. He, and he's a so resilient. Sad sadistic. I mean, if we're being real, like yeah. some of those like traps, I'm like, okay. Kevin, you have obviously thought about this for a yeah. minute and how you would get your revenge. And I love that for you. And that's what I mean. Is he's <laughs> like, he's so clearly the smartest and most capable of the children in the house. And he's one of the youngest. And it's so, to me, it's like, yeah, I just, it's, it's a great character. And I understand uh, 
why we're supposed to be in his corner. And and that like you're right, that is so intentional and um and I love that. Like, I mean, it's super sex for Kevin. So you're right. Like, we feel for yeah. him right the fuck away. Yeah. But they, like, I just hate that at the end. It's like, oh, whatever. They're family. It's fine. Right. It's... And like, I was like, I was on board for everything. Like, you see the wealth and the privilege of this family and just the fucking nonchalance where there's a cop literally in their house and everybody's just fucking walking by him like, oh, what the fuck ever? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Nobody's paying attention. I mean, we know that it's the the what bandit, right? Yeah. Uh, but like to show that little regard for anyone or anything outside of each person themselves like who they are incredible like great this tells me everything i need to know about this family and they're super shitty and they don't want to help anybody even if it's in their own family and in their own best interest great perfect even the way that they treat the pizza guy where they just grab the pizza like oh somebody else is gonna pay you no somebody else has got it like don't even worry somebody else is gonna pay you hey we're already eating why is that guy still here did he get paid somebody we're not doing money somebody else pay him it's like, oh, it's that much? It's like, yeah, it's like 16 people. No shit, it's that much. Right. You know, it's just, there is this level of- And this is the 90s, of, too, when like, yeah. you know, $12 for pizza was kind of gourmet pricey. fucking pizza, yeah, exactly. right? I mean, this is a fucking rich family, but yeah. Yeah. I do also like that all of the kids and most of the family feels very ACAB and a little dismissive. And yeah. also the way that cops are portrayed in here, it's with, with the yes. most incompetence. Like- they're so wrapped up in bureaucracy that they don't even know how to help and they wouldn't even if they could help where do they start that's the mm-hmm. whole point of cop like, like he's i love literally that. eating and drips donut on like a fucking chunk of donut on exactly. the exactly i'm like yes this is the right way to depict these people yeah but i think from the perspective at the beginning though i did spend a little bit of time with it where they were like disregarding the cop the cops they're trying to like whatever he's fake but even still and i'm like oh this is more from a position of like he's there to protect their things because cops only protect capital and mm-hmm. less they're just like oh yeah it's fine whatever and less of a we don't like cops and more of a oh whatever we're mm-hmm. too rich to worry about cops i also did like that the bandits were clearly hitting other houses on the block and yeah. the only person in town was the shoveler guy and who clearly saw and heard stuff right but it was like no fuck these people <laughs> Yeah, like, he did not call the cops. He did not try to bust them. He's just like fuck them. <laughs> Which, to be fair, yeah, fuck these, fuck all these rich families. Like, also, their kids are talking shit about me. I don't care. And the also, only time is when he's like, "Oh, he's by himself. This is a child. Yeah, he's in danger. I'm like, this is an actual issue, and I'm gonna help." And the worst, Uncle Kevin. Uncle Kevin is just such a shitbag. Like, I, yeah. all of his lines were so awful and it was so perfect and i was just like oh yes fuck you like he looks at uh catherine uh catherine o'hara and he's just like well if it makes you feel any better i forgot my reading glasses yeah and he and you're like child (laughs) reading glasses (laughs) you fucking like and just everything out of his mouth is just such malice and such conceit it's just it's incredible. It's so good, his lines. Like, they're in first class immediately. He just like throws his coat at the stewardess and is like, champagne's free, right? Free drinks? We're getting free drinks? Fill it's it free. all the way up. All the way yeah, up. Yeah, all the way all up. The way. Do it. All the way up. And then they're like salt and peppering their food. And he like clings them together. And he's like, is that real crystal? 
put them in your purse. Put them in your purse. Take yes, them. Put them in your when purse. When she's right there. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like everybody in this was like born into money except Catherine O'Hara because she's the only one that ever feels any sort of remorse at any point. Like I think she's the one that like finally gets somebody to pay the pizza guy, and she's the one that they're in first class and they put all their co- kids in coach, which. Fuck you. I am not going to sit next to your unsupervised fucking child. Fuck you. I literally you. thought about that Fuck too. You. It made me so mad. We're like, we deserve this. I'm like, and you she's like, rich assholes. But she's the one that's like, I mean, I feel bad. We shouldn't be doing this. And she's the only one, like the dad is like, oh, well, the first flight is like in uh, on Friday. Well, I'll go. And she's like, fuck you. I'm sleeping here. I'm going to be here. And this is the day before like cell phones and stuff, right? So she is literally doing every fucking thing she can to get to her son where the dad couldn't give a shit. So like, but yeah, so much of her character where she actually has emotions because her husband the whole time is just fucking cool as a cucumber. Like she was not born, like she married into wealth. You know what I mean? She did. And I mean, that's not to say she's without her faults because like even the the, the payphone situation where she's like, oh, I'm stealing this because my thing's more important than your thing, especially being in America, especially being an American abroad, like somebody who's visiting this other country and you're just like, what? I I can take it because you're not real. I'm more important. My thing is more important than your thing. And I know that it's like you left your kid. But at the end of the day, you left your kid. Yes. Mm-hmm. But she is the most empathetic and is the most human, the most realistic where like things matter to her in a way that things don't matter to the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. Like obviously she's the only one who's like reactive and like really feels and like has intense intuition and feeling and emotion. She's the only one. Everyone else is like, yeah, whatever. We're fine. We have money. We're going to be okay. And she's, and she's like, also the That's only one. That's not important. What's important is my kid. What the fuck? She's also the only one that has, like, any kind of responsibility. And we see that right the fuck away when she's, like, talking yes. to her friend on the phone. And the dad comes in and he's like, did you buy me this shaver? Did you do this? Like, and he's, like, asking her or, like, for all of these things. And people are, like, coming into her, like, do you have one of those plugs? Do you have this? Do you have that? So, like, she is clearly the most capable. And she, like, right off the bat, they're telling us that. And then they're showing us that because, again, she stays at the fucking airport, you it's know? Good. And it's she's really willing to good. give away yeah. all of her wealth, all of her things. She's like, take everything. Let me let me take your seat. Let me do something. It's great you know? character development. And really true. It's like just the moment where he's like, did you get the adapter? And she's like, no, I have so much other shit to do. And he's like, how am I supposed to shave? He's like another kid yes. to her. He's a child. He's so helpless. And she's like, I'm not going to figure. Have a goatee. I don't care. That's such a non-issue. You're an adult. You're the dad. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so, and her response yeah. to like Kevin too when he's like, uh, "Well, I hate you guys." Blah blah blah. And she's like, "Well, maybe you should ask Santa for a new family." <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you're yeah. fucking sleeping in the attic because everybody's pissed at you. I was like, mm-hmm. "That like, was I, too much." That was I, a little bit much, girl. And like, then, and I, especially after him saying like, "Oh, I'm scared. This scares me. I'm terrified." And she's like, "Whatever." Like the whatever of it. And then like when she's like, I can't believe we forgot him. I'm like, you're not nice to this boy. You're not nice to this kid. Mm-mm. Like he's asking for help. He's asking for attention. I know you're stressed, but like, again, why are you bringing your 1200 children on a family vacation to France? They're not going to remember this trip. Leave them at home. And you also like 
you knew this was coming. You planned this. This kid didn't ask for this. You planned this. So you should have planned better and had him packed or done something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this was yeah. their failure, not his. What else was I going to say about this? Oh, um, what's his name? The whole polka, polka band. So do you know about the um, the theory with that is that John Candy is the devil? Um, because she says, I'll sell my soul to the devil and if then I he's have like, to. Hello. And then he perks in. Mm-hmm. And then she like sells her soul to the devil to go and do the thing or whatever. But then there's like Danny like expanded on it and was like, but what if the shovel guy is God, right? Or is like an angel? Because then um, the two, um, the wet bandits are the demons trying to get into the house. But he is saved ultimately by like God and faith and all this. And so it's like. Is that real? The John Candy thing is is on the internet. I don't know how, like, if the other stuff is, but I mean, like, we we were having a very good time running with this metaphor last year. I, <laughs> I love, I love the meta. I love the idea. I love the conspiracy of it because it does make sense. Like, he only his interest is only peaked the moment she says, "I'll sell my soul to the devil," and you see him in the background be like, "Oop, mm-hmm. that's my name." And then yeah. it sucked that her family arrived at the exact same time that she did because then all of her effort and all of her everything is not rewarded. It's just kind of like, oh, silly mom. You should have just I, waited. But it is an interesting conversation because that's one of my points, too, that I wanted to bring up. The idea that, like, wealth and privilege is always rewarded, like, mm. where she's tooth and nail empathy i need to get there i'll make it work no matter what i'll figure it out she's the only one who is like we're seeing as separate from the wealth and the privilege to some degree obviously like not completely but like she is she is out of that picture a little Mm bit she did all this work she struggled she sacrificed to get there and even then the people with the money who just waited did essentially no work and no stress get there at the exact same time and are rewarded the very same way and everybody's reaction to seeing kevin except for her is like oh whatever hey kev like and she's like breaking down in tears and she's like i am so sorry like when she looks at him and says i am so sorry merry christmas baby blah 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 all of that you can tell that she loves him and she's like and when she's separated from the the rest of the family and all of that wealth yeah. and stuff like that. She really does love and care about him. And then once everybody else comes in, then it's just back to um, the facade, right? Yeah. Where like there's then that distance again. And it's like, oh, well, it's cool. You didn't burn down the house. Like, motherfucker, he's been alone for he- like, I think it was like five days. Like, because yeah. like, um, I was trying to count. I, I For some reason in my, in my brain, I thought this was only like two days, but it's yeah. like at least four days that he is like it's, doing this. And I'm like, holy shit. Like that's a long fucking time. It's for sure. I think it's like about four full days. Yeah. I think so. Um, but yeah, I like even the dad, when the dad comes in the season, he's like, hey, sport or whatever. It's like still this sort of like. It's very sterile. It's very sterile. It's very emotionless. It's like this. It's like placating a uh, platitude or this like little title like, hey, bud, hey, sports, something that is like so devoid of intention and emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, your kid could be dead. And his first reaction to seeing his son is like, hey, champ, like what? Like, mm-hmm. no, it just it is a very interesting, uh, seemingly intentional, like discussion of these characters and who Catherine O'Hara is 
in the world of wealth and privilege that is a McAllister household. And how she changes in proximity to that. And how she changes in proximity to that, yeah. When when her when her humanity is called into question, which is a, her leaving her kid, like how could she? How could she be such a bad person, such a bad mom, such a bad parent to do something like this? Mm-hmm. You see you see her true colors and that's why we love her, Cindy Lauper style. Open up. <laughs> And we see her actually feel something and emote and become, this is the most important thing. Whereas literally everybody else is like, who cares? It's just Kevin. Who cares? Like, we're on vacation. Why do we care about him? Have you tried calling the cops? Like, oh my God. They couldn't give less of a shit about his life. And And they asked the cops to go look on him because he is an asset to them, right? Yeah. Because he is part of their property. Yeah. Whereas to her, he is the world. He means everything. And his life could be in danger. So, of course, nothing else matters in that moment to Mm -hmm. her. And I think them bonded as a pair, too, because they are the most real characters out of this entire film, right? Yeah. Um, I think that also shows, like, their bond was strong before. And then, like, even through this, like, they are both the ones that are smart and trying to figure things out and trying to trying to make it work and using what they can. I mean, like the kid, like he's so smart, right? He's walking around by himself. He goes, he goes grocery shopping. He has this cute little lie that he does. So cute. But then he also recognizes the bandit, right? As the cop that he saw earlier. And he's like, oh shit, this is fucking bad. I need to prepare. I need to do this. And he orchestrate like the contraptions that he comes up with as like a five or eight however old he is right the things that he does uh, like are just so out of the box and so intelligent and so smart so even though he doesn't know how to pack a suitcase like because this is what he's being told to do when he's not told to behave in the construct of like his like wealthy family right when he is like just allowed to be himself and do what he needs to do to exist in the world he does some incredible fucking things you know and that's one of the big issues i have like the contraptions and everything it feels very of world like he is established as a character who is curious he asks a lot of questions he's very nosy which annoys a lot of his siblings and his parents he's always inquisitive he's always curious he always wants to know and to learn it makes sense that these like homemade contraptions with string like Michael Jordan on the train set and like these mannequins from the basement that he's like rigging up with this shitty string. These contraptions make sense versus the retelling film where some of these contraptions are just like high tech gadgets that I'm like. And like, how did you get? Also, have a pool pool ball like shooter. A t-shirt gun. Yeah. Why why do you have that? A, there's no reason. And B, who the fuck are you, kid? We know nothing about you because you've been in the movie for two seconds. Like, oh shut up. Oh, my God. So I'm dumb. so excited to talk it's about me- that. It's, it's, it's bad. But in this one, it makes perfect sense for the character. Like, of course he would know this stuff. And, he like, that curiosity, it makes sense that he knows when the sticky bandits, almost, or the wet bandits, rather. See, I get him confused because sticky <laughs> is the next one. The wet bandits. When the wet bandits nearly hit him with the van... Mm -hmm. He turns to see them, and that's the recognition of, fuck, that's the cop. It was fake. He's so smart, and he does not go home. Yeah. He goes goes straight to the church. He goes somewhere, a public building, a public space. He knows that they're following him. He knows the deception. He knows that this man is bad, 
and he immediately does the smartest possible thing in that scenario. And you're like, this kid is super smart. He's resilient. He gets it. He knows what he has to do. And even when they like come to break into the house, like, yeah, be small, like put on the big loud stuff and then aim the gun out the thing and shoot him the balls. Like, yes, (laughs) you're so on it. And then when they're persistent, he's like, okay, I have to get crazier. We're going to fuck with the doorknob. We're going to hit the steps. Chase me up the stairs, boys. Paint can, paint can, paint can. Like, I mean, truly. And like, I love that. I think this film also does that really well where a child is allowed to be both a child and capable and smart and intelligent. Because like, I mean, so often when we see movies of like, you know, a kid that's left alone or whatever, I mean, especially like the next one, right? I'm going to fucking do all the things I want and all the things. I mean, he does that in this, but I'll talk about that next. But he's allowed to be intelligent and smart and capable and not in in a demeaning way in a way that doesn't feel real or... um, or that doesn't feel like his idea. He doesn't have to be saved. He saved himself. I mean, except for like, you know, the shovel guy came in and like, you know, sure. Great. Like he yeah. was there. But like he is so smart and so capable. And I wish that we had um, more media for kids where it's like, yeah, you are smart and you are capable. Yeah. And if you find yourself in a situation like be smart about it. Think about this, you know, use your brain. Like you don't have to just be like, oh my God, I don't know what's happening. You know, be considerate, consider your surroundings, consider your options, consider the outcome, consider yourself in the, in the conversation. And it's not like he's without fault. I mean, he's the same kid who climbed up his brother's shelving unit and released the spider. Like he's Absolutely. the same kid who destroyed shit because he thought he could climb it. He's still a kid doing kid things. But in moments of abject danger, he's smart enough to follow his instinct and consider the possible outcomes, which he does, mm-hmm. and he succeeds. And it's so cool to see. Exactly. Like, 100%. And it's also really interesting. His first reaction to the parents leaving is to fucking jump on the bed with the popcorn. And, and I'm like, 100%. <laughs> this is a, like, eat the mountain of ice cream, watch the bad movies, do all of the things. I love this and I love this for you. But then when literally, like, after an afternoon of that, he's like, you know what? This is not responsible. I don't feel good. I don't feel good about this. Like, that excessive amount of, like, wealth and privilege. He's just kind of like, no, I need to keep myself in check because this doesn't feel good, which is incredible because, like, most movies would be like oh this kid is just fucking jumping on the bed for like 10 days and like there's ice cream on the walls and there's shit on everywhere but he cleans up his mess he does all of that like he recognizes excess and he recognizes the need for moderation and like i'm so blown away by this fucking kid he's learning through through action he's doing it and the whole thing too where he's like hey guys i'm watching a bad movie hey guys i'm eating too much sugar hey guys i'm doing that thing you can come out now like it's <laughs> it's almost a performance but it's a little it's it, it's like he is learning his body he's learning his environment through action mm-hmm. and i think that's so important for kids like let them learn that don't just be like well if you do this blah 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 like not to say let them do dangerous shit but like What a good way for somebody to learn like, oh, that doesn't feel nice for me. Like, this isn't something for me. I don't need that. And I know that intrinsically because I've done it. I've experienced that thing. Oh, not my jam. Cool. I'm going to, I need to be responsible. I need to be resilient. I need to take care of myself. And then 
the next morning he's like i will go to the store i will purchase goods with currency i will shave and i will do it like a dad i love it i love it that's something that nobody taught him how to do but that's like learned behavior like you know or witness behavior right and so those moments are just so important because this is how he thinks a dad acts this is how he thinks an adult acts right and i mean your kids are watching right they know like they learn from everybody around them and it is just so apparent in this like yeah, I just I well, love that extra detail so much. He's discovering himself in such an earnest way. And I mean, that's so cool because in the same way that he's performing childishness and childhood, he starts performing adult behavior and adult mm-hmm. life in the same sort of extreme way. And I think by the end of it, he finds a happy medium of like, obviously, he's still like eight years old. He's still a child. But he is so clearly finding the boundaries of who he is just in the scope of who he's told to be. He's told to be this childish, rambunctious, over-excess sugar child. He's also told to be this responsible, big man, adult figure like his dad. He's seeing the various versions of himself, again, through like media, through television, through the actions of his parents. And he's trying to find his place in that by performing these different versions of himself, which I think is so cool. And is also super important for visibility in media. When you see yourself, you're allowed to play in the space of different versions of you and you get to discover yourself that way. Well, and, and exactly because like also when he is like, you know, Oh, you guys can come out. I'm eating all the ice cream buzz. I'm in your room. Right. He is doing these things because he, feels like he is still being perceived right so he feels like this is what is expected of him and this is his place and this is what he needs to do once he realizes that he is not being perceived then he's able to break away from that and be like oh do i really want to do this no what is this playboy gross right yeah like this is something i'm supposed to be getting into but he's like i am actually not interested in that that's not something that i want right now cool and he's also like helping that old man work through his shit right so like he's facing his fears too right so he faced the furnace he like you know then the you know the murderer like comes and sit next to him in church and he's like he realizes oh it's just a person right so these biases that others put in his head he's learning how those aren't necessarily true right and so he's breaking that down and able to move past that because he's interacting with that and he's allowing himself to be in these same spaces with it um so he he talks to the shoveler guy and the shoveler guy is like you know like hey i mean you could just say hi and he's like oh okay and they have this like deep conversation about family and about like not leaving things unsaid and not being um not being too hard-headed and all of this and it's so earnest and it's so sweet and I also just love that they're these two you know they're two people that are at like wildly different ages but they are allowing like opening themselves up and allowing themselves to learn from each other in this moment um just so great so it's so great I it's such an impressive movie I mean as a kid I think it's it's a good movie obviously but as an adult consuming it for the base story, for the character development, for everything that it's trying to say, all the shit that I missed as a kid, I'm like, this is a really good movie. It's well-written. It's, it's well-intentioned. Yeah. It's a good, it's well-shot. It's fun. It's interesting. It's cool. It's a good movie. 
It's much better than I, I remembered it being. Like, Same. it's like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. But then, like, looking at it from this perspective and, like, diving deep into it, I'm like, holy shit, this stuff is really cool. I mean, it does have fat jokes and it does um, make fun of Buzz's girlfriend because she's not, like, pretty, right? Yep. Or, like, that um, that Hollywood version of pretty. Yeah. Um, and even, even those small moments of, like, nastiness, like, when he sees a picture of the girlfriend, he's like, woof, or whatever that's performance that's taught behavior yes it's not like he's a child somebody taught him to react that way to this thing that's not an earnest reaction he's performing for himself really uh that this is how i'm supposed Mm -hmm. to react to something like this and it feels like maybe it's the performance of macaulay culkin but it feels performative it does not feel like a real reaction to something yeah absolutely you know um can we talk about how brutal some of those um well like okay there's like at any given point those bandits were fucking dead you're so right half of these things would be near death sentences if oh no absolutely dead if iron from the the second story coming down and like conking you on the head fucking dead dead fucking dead and it's performed so well. I mean, granted, they, I will say, oh my god, comparatively, yes. the violence in this one is way better and more digestible and fun in a way that Absolutely. like violence can be because it's slapstick and sort of Three Stooges esque. Uh, the next one, not even fucking close. And I <laughs> Jesus think the Christ. reason in this one that it it works is because like a lot of the pranks that he's doing feel very earnest and it doesn't feel like I'm going to fucking murder you. Right. Like it, yeah. it does feel very much for defense. Um, but also like it feels like you said, more slapstick. And I feel like those two actors just really do slapstick so well. Oh and my the, God. The uh, chemistry between the two of them just fucking wonderful like and i think that that's a big reason why this works because the second reason the second one didn't work because they were just trying to get people hurt and like i mean and literally for no reason and there was and no there's chemistry no intention between there's those no chemistry yes at all. it's it's really bad i cannot wait to talk about it i do before we scooch into it want to at least acknowledge this is another one of those moments for me as a child I did not realize this. I had the biggest crush on Joe Pesci. <gasps> I thought Joe Pesci was so handsome and so cool and so cute and so charming, even though he's a shitty guy. He's a bad guy. But Joe Pesci, like watching it back, I'm just like, yeah, I, I gravitate. Like for some reason, I just gravitated towards him and his dumb face. And I realized like in my little brain, like, oh, you liked him. You liked the way he looked. That's the reason you remember him so clearly, Joe Pesci. And it makes sense because I, I do think now as an adult person, he's very handsome. I think I have a big old crush on Joe Pesci, Pesci in this. Cute as can be. So cute. Um, but yeah, fun, fun little uh, early, early, early gay fact. As a kid, I was very like, yeah, I like I like the way this guy looks. So you were swooning over Pesci and I was swooning I, over McCulkin. Literally, I was a big, I was a Pesci head. For sure. I mean, I didn't see my cousin Vinny till I was an adult, but if I'd have seen my cousin Vinny, I'm sure in the same way, I would have been like, yeah, Pesci forever. Um, okay. Well, on that note, should we shift gears and talk about the next thing that let's, we have on our agenda? Let's. Okay, perfect. Perfect. 
After being unemployed for several months, Jeff McKenzie and his wife Pam decide to sell their house behind their kids' backs. During the open house, they meet a boy named Max and his mom. After a weirdly aggressive conversation about Frankenstein and some porcelain dolls Jeff found, Max and his mom go home to a house with super bad energy filled with a bunch of awful people. After being a turd himself, Max decides to watch Looney Tunes in the brand new B&W until he falls asleep. Back at the McKenzie house, Jeff realizes that one of his dolls is worth over $200,000 and decides to sell it, only he can't find the doll and assumes that Max stole it. Then, in the dead of night, Jeff's brother and his family show up for no reason. But back to the doll plotline, though. After some internet sleuthing, Jeff finds the little boy's house, drives there, and asks about the doll, but is informed that they are all leaving for vacation and Max is already gone. But he has a plan. He catches up with his wife at the senior home for their holiday bell recital where he ruins the show by very publicly hatching a plan to break in and steal the doll while Max and his family are away on vacation. They try several times and fail, insert buzz from the first movie as a shitty gross boy cop and Pam flirting with him? Anyway, somehow Max overhears their plan to sell the doll and thinks they're going to sell him instead, so he lays a bunch of super deadly traps and an awful, painful 30 minutes later, Pam and Jeff realize Max didn't have the doll and everything was a big misunderstanding. They offer to take care of Max, letting him know he's safe now and leave the house in shambles as they offer to watch over him until his family come back from Tokyo. Oh, and the doll is found at the Mackenzie's house. One year later, <laughs> they're all rich friends now. Wait, one year later, they're all rich friends now and everything is water under the bridge. Happy Christmas because money. Um, yeah, could I literally like that's, that's the, the movie. best that I could do. Um, it's literally it the film. A fucking wild movie. I and uh, um, this everything is bad and wrong about this literally everything so like the whole like the the main thing is first of all the kid is not even in this movie at all like basically this is like a classic um when there's a remake or like a continuation they just focus on the parents instead of the kids who it's supposed to be about the whole time this time they are focusing on on this married couple who become the bandits because the dad lost his job which i want to talk about him as a fucking asshole later but dad lost his job they're going to have to sell the house they don't want their kids to know about it so that's like poverty is the whole reason that they're that like they even become bandits right but they're also just not good fucking people um and i feel no remorse for them either way like sure it sucks that you're gonna sell your house but you're trying to do it behind your kids backs like and you're like like they don't take anything seriously there isn't a moment where i'm like absolutely this is a family i the entire time i was watching this i'm like this is an incredibly bad movie like i not once was i sucked into this story fucking ever it's it's hard because it is I did. I think I texted you this while I was watching it. It feels like they mushed two movies together and we're jumping between the plots of each film without any cohesion because none of it really makes sense together. Mm-mm. Like the whole narrative, like there's the family drama of them not having enough money and they have to sell the house behind the kids' backs. Then there's the Home Alone remake, which is the kid that gets left behind and his family goes to Japan. Those are two different movies. Completely separate. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, we've smushed them together. So now the parents who have to save their house 
are the bandits and this shitty rich kid who's a bit of a brat doesn't learn his lesson and also why should we care what he's, lesson what because... le- literally what lesson yeah why should we care because he's been in the movie for i don't know six minutes like and suddenly it's like i have to save my house no at this point in the film you stole from the poor family <laughs> you stole their shit that's what we're led to believe why are we in your corner also this just makes me so mad when there's so, like literally any answer besides the one that's given is the correct answer. Like these adult people, these adults could just walk up and talk like instead of whatever, somebody's there. Okay. Be like, Hey, we're here for these reasons. You took something from us. We want it back. Not around like the boy, the doll. You took a doll from us. You were at our house. We know who you are. Mm-hmm. We need it back. You took it. And he's like, hey, I actually didn't take that. They're like, cool. We're going to be going then. End the of end. movie. The end. But them doing this whole like, it's the boy, the boy, the, the, I feel like they're bending over backwards for plot. They're, they're, they're 100%. literally doing the wackiest, zaniest, most outlandish, unrealistic, bad, silly wrong things to make sure that the plot is barely held together or like they want this one comedic moment so they try really hard to like you know um to craft the whole fucking story around these like oh what it felt like a lot of wouldn't it be funny if or oh this would be good oh this would be good okay how do we string them together okay well i mean yeah this kind of works like we could do that and i don't want to feel i don't want to sound like an asshole but that is sketch writing and maybe that's why this was bad because it's like SNL, like not to say that because SNL folks are like some people are good writers, but it didn't feel like a bunch of different fucking sketches with different jokes that they needed to throw in there. And they just poorly weaved those things together. Like Jess, you're so right. It felt like sketch writing. Disney could have gotten anybody for this. Fucking well, anybody. And I, they decided to go, like, to remake Home Alone, like, beloved classic, right? They had such an opportunity. And instead, what they decided, like, they decided, yes, this is the script where we are going to turn these poor people into um, into uh, burglars and make them evil. And we're going to reinforce that because the rich people are going to be British. So you're going to, you're going to, and I mean like McAllister McKenzie. Oh my God. We have to have that kind of fucking name in here. And, but it's going to be weird. It's going to be cool because we're going to focus on the (sighs) bandits, but like, you know, it's like, it's like funny, right? Cause then we're going to see them like, and I'm just, the thing is, is, if, it, I feel like the whole point of this remake was to have an opinion that sort of commented on class because the first one has everything to do with rich privilege end of sentence. I feel like the intention was to be like, yeah, like what if in the holidays we have a rich family and a poor family and it's like a conversation about class. In and the solution so, is wealth. The solution yes. is at the end they become fucking rich and then they're like, yes. oh, well, the doll paid off the mortgage and that's how we went to Europe and now we're rich friends and ha ha ha, that paid for your chandelier. And I was and, like, I'm also, sorry, if I was this woman and these people broke into my fucking house to try to take something from my son, destroyed my entire home, I would sue them. <laughs> and I would never want to see them ever again in my entire life would I want to see these people. It's also so strange, and I hate to continue to be just like an asshole about this movie. 
I feel like a movie that tried so hard to have this very specific narrative and point of view ended up having neither. There's no real story. There's nothing. And there's absolutely no point of view. Because at the end of the day, when they finally say the sentence, which could, you could have said, step one, with the family, whatever. I know they're busy. Hey, this is serious. Your kid stole some shit from me. Let's figure it out. You didn't say that. You're trying to like half tiptoe around the question and suddenly it's like you're left. Whatever. Bullshit. Bending over backwards again. At the end of all of that, after the fighting, the near-death experiences had by all, he didn't steal it. Mm-hmm. That's the big reveal. That's the big twist. He didn't steal the statue. It was just the nephew who's still at the house. It was in his room. Whoopsie. A big old oopsie-daisy. The big reveal is we're building up to this big moment. It was a big oopsie-daisy. J-K-L-O-L. Meaning... None of it mattered. There is no lesson to be learned. Nothing changed except for now they're all so rich. What is this movie? What's the point of this film? And now what we're doing is we're vilifying the brother and his family, right? So the brother shows up in the middle of the night, which like, fuck him for doing that. That's awful. (laughs) But immediately, like, he's he's just being a a jerk where he's just like throwing snowballs. And like, I'm like, I fucking hate this guy. His wife, we are supposed to laugh at. Where she, she, I, I like, had she gets such out of the, a fucking problem with this. She gets out of the car and she is like fucking like baby, baby, baby stepping because she has the highest of heels on in the fucking snow, and they like let it linger and they're like oh my god this bimbo is kind of like what it feels like and then they bring her son so of course it's her son who had the doll this whole time and they're like she's trying to teach her son spanish and she's like everything about this woman they're trying to like make like make it funny and the whole time i'm like she's fucking awesome like look at this outfit it's great she like oh uh the the daughter likes this dress and they don't have the money cool she fucking bought it for her great she is showing up to every recital everything for these kids she's teaching her her kid like different languages and all of this and she looks fucking hot while she's doing it and she's very yes and and she's fucking there and she's in it like fuck you for trying to make her look bad but the thing and here's my issue is big fat misogyny dipping its toe in here the direction for that character was to make like make everything she did a comedic beat. Yes, like when exactly. She's, which is just misogyny. Which is like why let's I was make like... her the butt of the joke when she's hot and sexy. Like oh, she's sexy and stupid and can't walk. That's the joke. Okay, whatever. I mean, I expect no less from the director and writer of fucking Borat. Not to be a dick, but like fuck that guy. I mean, fuck I, that. that's, that's who stupid. Disney decided. Oh, Borat yeah. guy. This is we want this guy to direct and Home then, Alone, a kids and then thing. When she starts speaking Spanish, which she's speaking Spanish, mm-hmm. the her like the way that she's doing it, she's trying to do like a a dumb like English accent, right? And that's supposed to be funny, but it's like I don't see any other bilingual people in the room. Absolutely. Like I see nobody else. And then and again, she's also, when she's buying like, the coat, she's like. The, she's the one character of color aside from the the realtor right (laughs) and so i'm just like cool we're doing this because she is an outsider in literally every way and we're making that known like that is so fucked and like i hated that all of this was supposed to be a comedic beat because like i looked at her and i was like she is literally doing everything right she is doing so much she is going above and beyond 
And the way that she's written in this is just to be a fuck the butt of the joke. I mean, the she's better than joke. all these other fucking parents. Like this, these parents height. Like I understand not putting money stuff in front of your kids, but I feel like they are the dopiest, worst. Like I would not trust them with a fucking egg. They're only my, in it. For, my God, they're in the movie for thirty seconds, literally. Oh no, I mean, <laughs> I mean Rob Delaney and Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, the the parents. You mean the, the parents. main parents? Oh, okay. I mean them. I like, thought you meant the kids. I was like, well, the only kid that we really oh. get to see in here is Max, and no, it's for I mean, five I mean, minutes. I mean them. I'm like, what are these parents doing? They're bad. They're like, oh, they're awful. They're, they're doing the making the worst possible decisions, endangering like breaking like they're just they're bad people. They're dumb and bad, and it's supposed to be pa- passed off as like, but we're just silly and it's a misunderstanding. They break it's, into that ba- black family's home. Which and that's supposed to be like a funny and beat that's supposed too. To be funny. It he feels farts like a, in his wife's face, and that's supposed to be funny. Like that feels, is that is what we decided to do. Like we decided to go that fucking far. It's not good. It's not a good movie. And I just, I really struck my big note here. A first and foremost, first and foremost, we're like thirty minutes into the segment. Um, I love Rob Delaney. I think he is so funny and so charming and so cool. I like a lot of the stuff that he's done. I think he's very great. He was really bad in this. Almost everybody in this was terrible. And I think that has to do with the script and the directing. I think these are good actors. These are good character actors. Like they know what to do. They were not given much and they were guided even less. I wrote here that this movie is all money, no vision. A hundred percent. They had a ton of money to back this thing and to get it made, but it had literally nothing to say about anything. Even when it got to a point where maybe they're going to say something about class, it's a big mix em up. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess we're not going to talk about that anymore. Oh, cool. So the rich person isn't actually to blame for taking away from the the pores. You just misplaced this. Maybe if if you like had better like control over your your assets then maybe you wouldn't be in this position that you're in exactly Um, and that's the big takeaway which makes no like i just i what a problem also like they're making the poor family seem even worse because first of all the dad is an asshole and he is well actually incarnate right like where he's like well actually like the school is really bad there's metal detectors and well actually uh frankenstein was uh the doctor not the monster like he's just fucking Every time he was on screen, I was like, fuck this guy. And they're in this situation because he lost his job, right? And he was like a data migration manager. And he's like, fuck the cloud. Fuck the cloud. It's all fucking the cloud. Fuck this. And I'm like, okay, boomer. (laughs) Like, okay. And there's several things that he does in this where he's talking like, I mean, if he worked in data and tech, like that, like, don't make any fucking sense when he's like, he doesn't know how to clear his search history online and you're like okay okay that's bullshit like yeah and <sighs> again it, it's it the felt, wrong choices it feels so unreal a hundred percent like i don't understand like because like he clearly is in the data sector great awesome cool but like then it makes him look lazy right because uh, being the poor family right he has this job it's no longer relevant but he's he's trying but he doesn't want to change and he doesn't want to do all this he's not adaptable like it to me just felt like very like 
um it felt like a big old fucking punch down and um and i fucking hated it i fucking and hated even, it so even the, bad even the moments when they're trying to like comment on the narrative that they're trying to spin i wrote this down just because it's bad and it's such a throwaway and it's a way to excuse bad writing I forget the context, but one one of the rich people of the plethora of them in this says, "Rich people, am I right? We're the worst." Okay. Yeah. What? There's, there's these moments like, where it tries to be so, um, like, so self aware, right? Even where like it's talking about a remake, where it's like the space remake of the movie from the first one, where it's like they're like some Star Wars like crossover type thing right and they're like oh my god remakes never as good as the original and it's like yeah because you clearly put no fucking effort put if you're gonna go that route put this in space do home alone in space give me some of this don't give me this garbage do not the thing that's wrong the main thing is there's no it's again and i hate that i keep saying this but there's no fucking point of view this movie says nothing does nothing and nothing has changed Nobody and nothing has changed in this movie. It has nothing to say. This movie simply wasted my time. And this movie, it's the exact opposite in every way of the first one where we talked about intent and we talked about how um, the world building and like the letting kids be smart and everything like this suffers from a lot of things that remakes suffer from half the time right that we talk about where it's just like it's just noise or it's like um it's not done well or it's like it says fucking nothing but not only that like this is one of those movies where it's like oh here kids here's like a thing and it's so zany and silly and oh my god people (laughs) but it treats the children like they're unintelligent. We don't ever see... Uh, in the first one, we saw Kevin be intelligent. We saw him take ownership of things. And in this one, he's just a little shit the whole fucking time. He's, and I have no remorse for him. And I'm like, this is who children are supposed to be relating to. Like, what are we saying? Like, he's never once given, like, autonomy or given, like, the benefit of the doubt in, like, being smart or having agency, right? He's just, he just is. And I'm like, it's so bad. The whole point, too, is, like, we have to identify with this kid. With Kevin McAllister, Macaulay Culkin, we got it. He's misunderstood. Like we said, we see the way he's treated and the moment he says, I wish my family didn't exist, we're with him. Mm-hmm. We get it. We understand. We're already in his corner. They did such a good job at getting us behind this lead character who we're supposed to care about and follow. Who the fuck is this kid? One of his they've big told lines. Us, they've told us nothing and there's nothing about him apart from brattiness, wealth, and privilege. So what are we to care about? They've done nothing to earn our trust in following this person. What have they done that's good? Who are they and why do I care? I don't. One of the kids' big (laughs) lines is, oh, they're very proud of this. When he's throwing the sodas and the Mentos over at Kimmy Schmidt, right? He's like throwing (laughs) them over. And (laughs) what's her name? I'm going to look up her name. I feel so Uh, bad. In this movie, it's Pam. Um, but like Pam yeah <laughs> so he's throwing those over and she's like oh my god how much soda do you have and he's like my parents buy in bulk it's more cost effective and I was like oh my god yeah Um, can we talk about the severity of the traps 
in this one. Yes. And how absolutely unfun they were. Like, they were at least so in the first gross. one, there's a, a childlike DIY ethos to it that feels so, like, of world and kind of charismatic and, like, fun. He's, like, MacGyver, a bit. he's doing it. And it's also not as dangerous. Like, yes, this is going to knock these guys out. Like, it's going to hurt them, but... Like this he saw in Looney Tunes or something, right? This he saw on TV or like some of the pranks were even just like really silly. Like he put down a couple of Legos or a couple of ornaments or he like put some glue on the uh, on the saran wrap and threw some feathers. Like some of it was so cute and so zany. And and it made sense. It made sense because he could have seen it in cartoons. He could have seen it on TV. And you're like, absolutely, there's an iron in this house. Absolutely, there's Legos here. Absolutely, like, they, there are all of these things. And they feel, um, it doesn't feel like anything remarkable or, like, unique. But in this one, there's a fool lighting somebody on fucking fire, Mm -hmm. shooting pool balls out of a t-shirt cannon directly at somebody's face. There is a a semi-automatic Nerf gun with fucking tacks sticking out of the tips of the bullets. Were those tacks? They were tacks. Jesus Christ. It was like thumbtacks pressed in on the the plastic or the rubber end of the bullet. And it doesn't, like to me, that's not heightening stakes. That's just unfunny. And he he watered the street so they would crash into a fucking pole or a house or something like yeah. he's trying to fucking murder he's, these he's trying to kill them it's so clear he's trying to kill them and it's also like it doesn't make sense and because it doesn't make sense the unfunny severity of this it's not just like it's to a point to me where like say t- like on the simpsons you know how the itchy and scratchy show is supposed to be this like commentary it's sort of a satire on the idea of slapstick cartoony humor yes. and it's grotesque aspect is what makes it funny like oh yeah because shows do like wacky shit this is the not in on the joke unfunny sim- similar aspect of this like he's trying to kill these people and there's no like it doesn't feel slapstick at all because nobody has any sort of charisma and nobody's playing off of each other um it's it, not they fun. fell down the stairs about 28 times he's launching uh, kettlebells off of the fucking treadmill at their heads mm-hmm. none of this is like and and i i just Maybe I just don't like the movie and that's painting my view of these No, these I think antics. you're right. These are like actually really fucking sinister and have no innocence to them. And on top of that, like what did this family do? Be poor? <laughs> like the the only thing they've done so far that we're being told is bad is being impoverished, which A, again, poorly written, but now we're supposed to revel in the comedy of their pain because they're poor like and it was all unnecessary because they just lost their asset literally at their own house and the dad couldn't get a job because it was a little mix of job and once once he has a job once he has the money he's able to get a job and once he has so it's like because even the commentary that you're doing i don't think you're doing the commentary you think you're doing not at all not at all and at least in the first one we're rooting for Kevin not only because we've we've been shown that he's our he's our guy he's our he's our character like he is misunderstood he is treated poorly we are on his team so when these literal 
burglars are trying to break in and hurt him. He's a child. These bad people. Of course, when the paint can falls, we're going to be like, yes, fuck yeah, get him. Heat that fucking doorknob up. Get like, I'm so into this. And everything Protect is yourself. to defend his house, not to fucking hurt somebody. And he's like, gun, hey, the don't guns come a, up here. I'm going to do this. The gun's hey. a pellet gun. It's a pellet gun, too. Yeah. And like, yeah, exactly. And he's warning them, like, if you come up here, it's going to be an issue. Stay away from me. Do mm-hmm. not come near. And they're like, okay, fuck you. You're a kid. He's like, okay, I told you. Boom. And then it's all I wonder, in self-defense. I wonder how much of this this kid, uh, Max, like, is because he just, like, nobody, like, everybody in his family is shit. Like, everybody in that fucking house is, oh, my God, just absolutely trash. But he, like, nobody's listening to him. So he goes, like, into the car to the BMW, the shiny new uh, BMW that we make, we see, right, with the, you know, fully automatic entertainment system in the back or whatever. But, like, he goes in there and he watches Looney Tunes, which is an incredible, like, we've talked about how violent the Looney Tunes are, right? And he's laughing at that. And with the context of what he does later on, I'm wondering if he was imagining, like, his own family getting hurt. He's... Because he's a, he's fucking twisted. He's a little bit of a messy character. And they don't... And again, this movie doesn't give space to anybody. So there's no way to really, like, analyze any of that subtext. Because oh, also oh. this movie has no subtext. <laughs> also, but, uh, he had those weird fantasies, right? Which is fucking wild and, like, did not fit the thing. But remember when he goes to the church and he tries to take toys that are meant for... Like I the toys for tots are the, the less privileged okay. and he's like, I lost my parents and I literally I literally I was gonna bring this in when we were talking about him earlier. Oh my god. He was initially unlikable. He did he's done nothing. You've shown us nothing of this character to make us like him. But then suddenly it's funny because like this rich kid got left home alone and he's trying to steal from a toy drive for impoverished youth. And that's just funny. And then he's like, like this the, is funny. The, the fuck this um, kid. Mackenzie kid comes out and is like, oh, that's really rough. You deserve this toy. Right? Like, so they, he's like, the poor kid. He's rewarded. Who, like, is not going to get any toys for Christmas is like telling the, um, because he's listening to the rich kid sob story, like, oh, here, take this. You deserve this. Like, and here's, fuck here's, that. here's the thing is like, that was intentional. That was a scene that was written to establish a point. But Why they never the but they fuck? never explain the point of view. They never get there. And the moment where they should get to the conversation about class and about privilege, which is what this movie seems to be trying to do, they say, Whoopsie Daisy, no one's at fault. And that big whoopsie daisy makes me so mad. It makes me irate because it's it's literally like at the end of a movie, which t- some some of these stories do it well, but it's like writing this whole movie and then the character waking up and being like, just kidding, it was a dream. None of that's real. And there's no real consequence. And you're like, well, okay. But like, there was no point to it. If there's a point to it, it would make sense, like the dream, whatever. But there's nothing. This movie is nothing. Their point was... Everything's okay as long as you're rich. <laughs> yeah, that was the point. <laughs> like, I could not, I could fucking not believe that the, to- the toy was, I mean, I knew it was going to happen, that the toy was in their house and stuff. I fucking knew it. But then I could not believe that they did a one year later when it's like, oh, look, everything is wonderful now because we have money and we're best friends with our rich friends because we they have money. 
we do not need an epilogue. Why? Like, and, at, okay. least, at least they, with an epilogue, something's changed. And so we're seeing that changed universe later. But with this, nothing changed except they got money, which seems to be the opposite of what they were trying to say. But again, we don't know what they were trying to say because it wasn't told to us. We I did half expect it. the mom to come back and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad for you. Or the brother to be like, oh, you're clearly struggling here. Let me help out. I expected somebody to give them money. Like, I'm very surprised that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing else to say about this. I, um, don't, I don't watch either. it, or if you watch it, watch it ironically and just get like. It's honestly a great background movie for the holidays. Like, no, it's not. Well, I'm I not guess even... it's not. Like, ju- it's not. It's just not a good movie. Just don't watch I, it. What a shame. Yeah, just real bad. Damn. We're back. We've made it back. We've arrived back home. Here we are. Hello. Eric. Yes. The original Home Alone. Who yes. did you think it was for? That's a great question. Um, my real answer is for Macaulay Culkin's career, because what an absolute rocket launch for that person. Truly. Um, my fun answer is for John Hughes's auteurship and the city of Chicago. Because, <laughs> I mean, what an iconic Chicago film. I mean, Little Nero's Pizza, it's not real, but hey, love Little Nero's. Everything about it, big Chicago, the O'Hare airport shit, like Chicago, Chicago. And, I mean, John Hughes, boom. What do you, what do you say? But really, Macaulay Culkin, Rocket to the Moon, I'm gonna say it was for John Candy, who has always, who always wanted <gasps> oh. to be the devil in something, but like not actually. So like, so he he totally shipped that whole. Um, he probably also worked on that line, like I'll sell myself for the devil, and he's like, oh, here, wouldn't this be fun? Like, oh my yeah. god, wouldn't this be fun? Like, so he kind of crafted that narrative himself, like after reading the script and realizing, like, oh my gosh, there's there's just so much here. Like, I mean, we really could be the angel and the devil and the thing and like so this is for him and for for that whole extra level that he brought to this film uh did you like it i did like it i think it's a really good movie i think it's very well written i think the characters are interesting i.e Catherine o'hara and macaulay culkin um interesting conversation about money the power of money and love of being seen and being considered like there's just a lot there we talked about it i love it i think it's a great movie what do you think did you like it i love this movie like i i liked it beforehand i was like okay cool whatever but like really after um, and this is the case so often with like movies that we watch where i'm either like I loved it before and now I fucking hate it or like I thought it was okay before and now I fucking I love this movie so much more for all of the intent and for um for really all of the reasons that we talked about like just I am so blown away because I did not realize how fucking good that writing is and how intentional and what a treat of a film what a treat what a treat treaty treat treat what a good movie yeah yeah, classic. So good. It's one of those movies where, like, sometimes a classic. It's like, oh, why is this a classic? It's a classic. Chinatown. It makes sense. I know why it is. Yes, perfect holiday film. Yes, incredible. Um, now <clears throat> let's get into uh, our favorite version of the story. Our total favorite Absolutely. version. Yes. Um, 
Home Sweet Home Alone. Um, yes. Was it new, interesting, or the same, or progressive, regressive? Where are we fallen with that? Uh, it was new, technically. Technically, it was new. Um, it was interesting for all of the wrong reasons. Uh, interesting in the way that they did not really tell a story and did not have a point of view. Nowhere at all, apart from namesake alone even then, what the fuck does home sweet home alone even mean? Oh, it is, does nothing with the title. It says nothing about this new version of it. It's just a play on words, which, okay, similarly to this movie, has no point of view. So with that said, it wasn't even close to the same. Couldn't have been further from the original text. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was regressive, literally in every aspect, in the way that they viewed women in its sort of just Im- embedded misogyny in the way that it was money over everything uh, without any sort of comment on it or without any sort of justification for it. Bad, dumb, not good. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think it was <laughs> new. I think it was uninteresting. Yeah. And I think it was uninteresting because it tried to be both the same and new. Um, where it's like, okay, we have these beats that we need to follow, right? Like, uh, like we know that the last, like, the third act is going to be a bunch of traps and this. Okay, cool. Let's do that. But how are we going to get here? Oh, well, let's make it interesting. Maybe this time we'll center the bandits, right? And maybe this time we're going to... So it felt like a lot of, oh, maybe this time, like, a, a lot of that. Um, but it was just really uninteresting and really fucking regressive um yeah. for all the reasons that you mentioned i mean um the misogyny in this was really awful um Ugh. the treatment of people of color in this was really awful where the first one did not have even one person of color uh, like we didn't was, even talk about that it's a very white movie it was a very fucking white movie um but for, like, for a movie I, placed in chicago that movie is white yes <laughs> And then in this one, they're just literally like the butt of every joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it felt it felt very icky. It felt gross. Even like um, even the pranks and stuff like that. All of that felt so gross. It felt I was like, somebody's going to die. Like in the first one, I was like, oh, my God. Like I was laughing, but I was like, OK, but like really that that would that person would die <laughs> like iron to the face. But this one is like, no, they are going to get murdered. Like if that one of those um, dumbbells hit her from the treadmill, I was like, that's it. She's fucking it's done. Death. It's literally a death sentence. And um, and yeah, it was just not fun at all. It was tr- very OK. Boomery. It was very like it was just not fun at all. And I don't know who this like. I guess this goes into the next one. I don't know who the fuck this is for. Yeah, I don't literally. know who they tried to make this for. Like, I am I mean, the real answer is it's a cash grab, right? It's like Disney saying, yes, yeah. money, money, money. Give me money, money, money. But, like, truly, this is not for anybody because there's literally nothing. It is not for, because, like, at first you're like, okay, is it for the parents? Is it for parents? Like, trying to, like, you know, like, talk about wealth and all this other stuff. It's because, I mean, the first one was for kids, right? It was, like... It was like, centered around a kid. It We're was supposed to empathize children. and follow him, his story. Yeah. And this one was, like, I just don't know. I don't know who they had in mind for this one because it literally says nothing and speaks to no one and speaks to nobody's experience. Because of zero point of view, there is... There's not a single person it's intended to be for because it it does not have an opinion. Like it does, it didn't it 
it's for okay, nobody. But- You're right. It's for nobody. Okay, but who's the fun one that we're going to say this is for? Oh, that's right. Okay. I'm going to say that this was just so everybody could just like pay the bills. make a paycheck. I'm going to say that this is for... Um, it is for the bank accounts of all involved. Yes. They don't claim this on their IMDb if no. you look at it. I mean, like this is like... Is that true? No. But I want oh. to be... <laughs> oh my God, wait. Because that would be iconic. That would actually make That would actually make me like this movie. If, oh my God. If, if, if they all... Like a lot of them clearly were like, please don't put this on my IMDb. <gasps> what if, Jess? What if? I know. That would be so fun. That would that be, would... that would save it for me. What about you? Who do you think it was for? Fun. The fun one, not the real one, because that's too depressing. Um, I don't know if I have a fun one. That's okay. It's... It was too. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's one. Let me make sure that this is the right. Uh, person yes it is okay it is to rehabilitate archie yates's career um from nazi to child oh my god because he was in jojo rabbit was he i didn't see that he was one of the kids in jojo rabbit and i don't think he was a sympathizer but part of his character was like hey maybe they're right (laughs) and no and that's the only thing I know him from, so I'm gonna make a joke and say it's to rehabilitate his image uh, in and, the the public discourse and just make him a shitty kid. Well, that's that, also the thing is, I mean, it's better than a Nazi. <laughs> I mean, it's better true. than a Nazi. Quite true. <laughs> uh, so oh my God. that's my fun answer. So, the final question: Are you ready? Yes. Did you like it? Um. God, what if I just switched it up and was like, yes. Um, no, I think it will go down, at least for me on this podcast, as one of the worst movies that we've watched, unfortunately. Because again, I want to like it on paper with the people. I do like who's a part of this this project. But it is abjectly one of the worst movies we've had to endure uh, for this podcast so no i i a strong disagree with this movie as a whole collectively i disagree with everything that they did and i dislike it very strongly what do you think did you like it <laughs> oh i absolutely loved it um yeah. i thought that it Iconic. was so um so well put together <laughs> and um so relatable no i fucking hate this movie like i <laughs> I cannot honestly imagine anybody in the entire world liking this movie. Yeah. This is one of the worst movies that I've not like again, I was bad. like, it cannot be it cannot be jingle all the way too bad, right? Especially looking yeah. at the cast and all of that, right? And um it was just like, you know, Christmas wanted to be like, Oh, you thought, right? And it's yeah. like, fuck like because it is so <sighs> incredibly bad. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, period. Do not waste your time on this pile of steaming hop garbage. It's so weird and bad. It's such a weird and bad film. It's weird, weird and bad. It's weird and bad. Like, it's not even charming. Like, no. at least if it was charming, I'd be like, well, it's charming, but it sucks. But, like, it's just weird, and the beats are so odd, and the characters are, like, not directed. The characters are just fucking doing whatever they want to. It is not cohesive. Nothing makes sense. No point of view. 
who are we rooting for? We don't know. And then at the end of the day, it's everybody and nobody at the same time. What is this film? I, I, oh, oh, oh. This is why it took me four fucking hours yeah, to finish a 90 minute movie because I was like, oh my God, no, they didn't. And I had to walk away so many times because yeah. you know what? This movie was not just not for me. It was not for anybody. Uh, and I will, I'll say this as a collective, and I feel like I, I don't want to speak for you, but maybe you'll agree. I mean, you can speak for me. It's fine. All we want for Christmas is a better remake to a good franchise. Better yes. than this. Because Home Alone 1 and 2 are pretty fucking good. Classic staples. They really did a lot for cinema history and for us this movie does nothing we need well we don't need it i mean we don't need any of these remakes and that's the whole point of nostalgia we don't need it but it'd be nice and this movie didn't do the job so hey (laughs) i don't know but that's why you love us and you keep coming to us so we watch the things and we can tell you if it's actually worth it and And um, as long as they keep doing these remakes we keep doing this podcast and they just keep coming out with more all the time it really is so nice like every time they announce something new i'm like cool perfect yeah before before i was like oh my god are they fucking really and i'm like oh Yes, incredible. Perfect. Please line it me. up. We'll put it on the we'll put it on the board. Um, if you, uh, listener, have a suggestion or um, something that you would like to um, hear us review, please uh, email us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail or you can message us on social media. We are we have a Twitter. We're not really active on it, but we are active on our Instagram, and yeah. um, eventually we'll be active on our TikTok. But we get all the messages, so like, <laughs> yeah. let us know. We really do love listener requests because most of the time it's us being like, "Oh, this is a remake. Oh, oh this yeah. is coming out. Let's do this right now." But it's also um, it is such a treat when um, when somebody suggests something because well, also, um, we love it, it. Yeah, and what a privilege to be in a position where like somebody's listening to our opinions which a is really nice and cool of you but secondly what a what a joy you're consuming something we made earnestly and you enjoy it to some degree like wow what a privilege for us like how cool is that to be in a position where that is the case so for that reason when you send emails asking us to do something it's a treat we feel so privileged to be able to like talk to you sort of about these things and um yeah we want your input and we love love it we love it so please do it more and we will do them 100 <laughs> percent. awesome thank you so much for listening um we love you so much um we appreciate you so much and we hope you have a very happy holiday season a happy holiday season a and happy please, new year a happy new year um, even i mean new year new you or same you i mean like, like whatever you need really liter- just like get it Live your life. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of downtime in this area for many people. So please, in that time, do not forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. We love your attention. We love to feel special. Yeah. Anyways, artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre, editing by Danny Barkley. And thank you again for listening. And thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.
This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more. You enter the dungeon and see the evil wizard pointing his wand directly at you. He says, Show me a funny and delightful actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast or I'll consume your souls! What do you do? I take out my phone and find Quest Friends Forever on Spotify. I show him how to find Quest Friends Forever on Apple Podcasts. I share the Quest Friends Forever Instagram and YouTube pages with him. And you all get critical hits! Yay! Quest Friends Forever is an actual play podcast starring four friends with varying levels of Dungeons & Dragons experience. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday as we embark on fantasy adventures, play fast and loose with the rules, and laugh at each other's shenanigans. No prior D&D knowledge is required to listen, so everyone can feel free to join the fun. Quest Friends 4, that's the number 4, like how there's four of us, ever. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Quest Friends Forever.